Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Adam Dorsey, a psychologist in Silicon Valley, and I am the host of Super Psyched, a podcast dedicated to supercharging your life. Each episode contains fun, high-quality interviews with experts looking at psychology from all angles. Super Psyched is your tool to get more of what you want in your life and less of what you don't. Have you recently felt down, anxious, or out of touch with why we are here? If so, you are not alone. Today's episode is about a surprisingly easy way to feel happier and more connected to life. And how you do it is tapping into the experience of awe and wonder. Yet you may be asking yourself, what is awe? I'll answer that question with a question. When was last time you heard yourself say, wow? It might have been caused by something you saw, heard, or read, and you may have even had goosebumps. If so, it's likely you were awestruck. Science shows overwhelming evidence that tapping into awe and wonder is protective and helpful for our bodies and our minds. But what exactly is awe and where can we find it? My guest, Dr. Jonah Paquette, answers these questions and much of what he shares will delight and surprise you. Best of all, the information here will be immediately usable. Jonah is a clinical psychologist, international speaker, and author. He has written three excellent books, and most recently, Awestruck, which is such a great book, I absolutely had to invite him to share his information with you. Jonah also works at Kaiser Permanente in the San Francisco Bay Area, where he serves as the Assistant Regional Director of Mental Health Training. So join Jonah and me as we do a deep dive into the science of awe and wonder and how it can help you in virtually every area of your life. I think it's entirely reasonable to expect that you will be awestruck by this episode. I know I was. Dr. Jonah Paquette, welcome to Super Psyched. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you. You know, I just want to just let the listeners know that we met back in 2008. We were in a positive psychology group. We were a bunch of people who just adored it, geeked out to it share the latest and greatest of research. And I remember receiving a training manual, I believe, from you on uh, what you were going to implement in your doctoral dissertation and thinking to myself, this guy is someone to watch. He is going to crush it. He's going to be a great credit to our profession. And sure enough, I've seen you in the PESI trainings where you're training fellow mental health practitioners countrywide. You're, you've written three books, the most recent of which we'll be diving into. I'm just so glad to be with you. And I'll be referring to you, of course, as Jonah moving forward. Works for me. And uh, very high praise. But um, yeah, I have fond memories of those days too. And it's amazing where life and our careers and, and everything has taken us uh, over these past 12 years or so. But um, small world and, and just awesome to see you under these circumstances and, and happy to do this. Right on, right on. Well, first off, after reading your book, I feel vindicated being a person who loves to tap into awe. I'm recalling some peers of mine from the past who say things like, you're so easily impressed. And I would respond, actually, I have a high threshold for appreciation. Had I known about your book, I would have cited it as a powerful backup. But to start things off, Jonah, let's define awe. And it's my understanding that there are different types of awe. Can you describe what awe is and 
Can you unpack the various types of awe that we can experience? Sure. Um, Well, I can give you what I would call the informal definition, which is, I think, we all can relate to, which is those moments that just make us go, wow, those Mm -hmm. moments that make us light up, those moments in life uh, that, you know, as we'll talk about, I'm sure we can experience in so many facets of our of our world and in our lives um, where we feel small and yet connected to something bigger than ourselves. Um, so I always think of all, on the one hand, informally as just those moments of wonder, those moments where we go, wow. In the past few years, as, as you know, but maybe listeners aren't as familiar with, um, this has become a whole discipline within positive psychology. I mean, researchers that dedicate their life to studying awe And the very first thing before you go any further, as we know, is to say, well, what are we even talking about here? Because it can mean so many different things to different people. So I would say the the research definition of awe is this combination of two factors. Um, We First, we experience something that's vast, so something that's bigger than ourselves. And this could be in our natural world, in nature, it could be an idea, so vastness. And then the second piece is this idea that they call accommodation. Uh, or transcendence. In other words, we experience something that's not only vast, but it makes us kind of reevaluate our assumptions. We thought we knew the world in this way, and then it pushes our comfort zone. It makes us realize how little we knew uh, in that sense. So vastness plus accommodation would be more the, the technical, so to speak, definition. But I also think those moments of wonder that make us go, wow, works just as well. And it seems like it's a universal response, the things that make us go, wow, not necessarily the stimulus, but the response Mm -hmm. itself. The stimulus may vary from person to person, as I understand it. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. But the the emotion is is definitely, to your point, universal. They've looked at this now across different continents, countries, cultures, all around the world. And every place you look, there's this understanding that these moments matter. There's this understanding that you know, awe is a thing worth looking at. As you said, what gives you a sense of it might be very different based on cultural factors, religiosity, things like that. But the experience is definitely uh, universal. So Jonah, to go all in and write a book, you and I both know requires an incredible investment of time. It's a huge uh, (laughs) opportunity cost from an economic standpoint. (laughs) And I'm just thinking about what about awe caused you to go all in and say, yes, I'm going to do this? Yeah, it's um, definitely (laughs) true what you say. You have to have a passion project. I always tell my my trainees at at work over at Kaiser when I'm talking to them, I say, hey, if you ever want to find a part of your career where you spend a ton of time, ton of hours, tons of blood, sweat, tears, all for a little bit of money, (laughs) <laughs> go into writing, write books. It's a great idea. Um, <laughs> the ROI for the yeah. hourly, the hourly rate is very low. I haven't calculated, but I don't think I want to, but you know, when you do something like this, that makes you feel alive, that opens up, obviously, if we're being serious, opens up doors and opportunities to do things like this, which are a lot of fun. You know, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but you have to love it. And you definitely have to have it be something that hits you to the, to the soul, uh, kind of on a deep level. And I think when I look back at my life, so many of these, you know, as Maslow would have called them, peak experiences, mm-hmm. we would call them awe-inspired experiences now, had to do with awe, had to do with wonder. Um, but I can actually remember very vividly the specific day when I realized I want to do a book on this. Um, 
And my wife and I were on a, on a beach um, and we were at a island of St. John, actually. In the, mm, for so great really things. Uh, I think Kenny Chesney has a little spot over there, the country he, he singer. Does. <laughs> um, that's exactly good, good, good. Because uh, when you go, I had no idea. And then you go there and there's all, all different references to Kenny Chesney. You're like, <laughs> what's the deal? But he's a big, big man there. But there was a, you know, we were on a beach and it started to pour. And we were thinking, oh, we got to get back to our place. Let's get to the car. So we 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 run for our lives under uh, through the through the rain droplets. We we drive, and you get we got up to this kind of bluff on the road, looking back down on the beach, and seeing this double rainbow light up behind the beach. And it was just one of the most mm. kind of picturesque conscript. It had to be there at this exact moment <laughs> in order to see it at that exact way. And I had this kind of epiphany for lack of a better word. I was like, wow, this is really special. Like this gives me chills. This gives me goosebumps. I wonder how much, if anything, has ever been looked at scientifically, even when it comes to this experience. And so I, we got back and we were using basically like a 56K, if that dial-up modem at the little cottage we were staying. <laughs> so I spent about three hours on my phone barely getting service, trying to, because it was a, a hot idea in my head, thinking, has anyone looked at this? And sure enough, uh, I turned out that amazing people like Dacker Keltner and other people at UC Berkeley Greater, Science, Greater Good Science Center had started right. to look at this. You cite, there hadn't yeah. been any books on it. There hadn't really been much in terms of a how-to side of things. And that's when I decided I want to learn all there is about awe and why it matters, because it really hits me on this core level. But then just my brain working the way that it does, I also wanted to make it practical. Um, so it wasn't just, this is good, but more of a, well, how do I find it? And what are the different parts of life that we might experience it? With? And that's kind of the two parts of the book, obviously, is what awe is and why it matters, but then second, how to cultivate it, how to, how to grow it. And by the way, this book has to be read. Uh, I was telling uh, Jonah earlier that uh, I have a particular metric that I use. Uh, I call it the, how many times do I say, honey, you've got to hear this. And there were so many times when I said, honey, you've got to hear this. And this is a really, really important book, but I'm not going to say it from my mouth, but I'm going to ask you, how can people's lives be improved by tapping into awe? That is, as you describe, really all around us. See, if only you'd asked me this when the book was fresh, I would actually know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, one of the really shocking in a good way experiences of writing this book was learning for my own sake, all the different ways that this touches our lives. Um, and it was just mind blowing. I was almost in awe of awe learning about the ways in which, you know, these moments, which can seem really fleeting, right? Like it's not, like you gaze up a mountain and it lasts forever, or the night sky you're spending, you know, these moments can be actually pretty brief, and yet they can strike us to the core of our lives. And, you know, you see this incredible research that's emerged where awe brings people together. It improves the closeness of our relationships. Um, it makes us more kind and altruistic. So if you, for example, experience awe, it makes you that much more inclined to help another person, that much more inclined to reach out and, and support somebody. Uh, it boosts our mood. It strengthens our immune system. Um, 
it makes us more oriented to kind of deeper values. So it shifts us away from materialism to more of the things that, uh, that matter in life. Um, so time and time again, whether you're looking at the brain, the body, uh, inflammation, which a lot of people might sort of know about as being really important and chronic inflammation in particular is a really problematic thing for people. Awe, more than any other positive emotion, for example, decreases chronic inflammation markers in our body. So you can kind of look inside and out, formally, informally, but what I would say in a nutshell is it makes our relationships better, it boosts our mood and our psychological well-being, and it improves our health in really deep and profound ways. Yeah, I, I really am getting that. And it almost strikes me as being the chief emotion to experience that could predict uh, or the chief phenomenon to tap into to uh, predict future happiness, to predict future good behavior that you won't regret. Uh, And you substantiate it with so many uh, sources. I mean, functional MRIs, social psychology experiments. This is rigorously researched, but how do you hold awe relative to other, other pursuits that we might engage in for positive psychology? Where does it rank and where, mm. where have you come to hold it? It's a great question. Um, one thing, I guess I would almost sidestep that answer where one thing I've really come to appreciate about awe is how intertwined it is with so many other ingredients of the good life. You know, and, mm. and there are sometimes this chicken and the egg piece where it's hard to say, but it's very hard to really be live an awe-inspired life without being mindful, right? Without noticing the small things that we would normally take for granted um, or without being grateful. Because I think when we notice the wonders of life, that feeds directly into gratitude and we know how important that is. Um, we talked about connection, how awe brings us closer together. And, you know, the longest running study in the history of the social sciences uh, done out of Harvard years back found that the quality of our closest relationships was the most important factor for happiness and health across the lifespan. So I'm not positive where I would put it in the hierarchy, but I would say that I think part of its power is it's almost this rising tide lifting all the boats emotion where it taps into so many other aspects, so many other ingredients of the good life, uh, of a life well lived, um, that I think, you know, it, it um, that's part of where I think it's, uh, its transformative quality comes from. You know, you're, you kind of, you're talking around the, I believe the Cambridge study, the 75 year yeah. longitudinal uh-huh. study where uh-huh. we, they've showed quite irrefutably that our relationships matter more than anything else in terms of predicting the quality of our life. And I'm wondering what about shared awe? Does that maybe magnify the experience of awe if you can experience awe with another? Absolutely. You know, there, there hasn't been, I would, I'll preface with saying I'm not familiar, at least as of this airing uh, with a particular study showing that. But I think it stands to reason without a doubt if you just think of how much of social creatures we are and those moments of wonder where we get to share that magical moment with somebody, whether it's someone we love, whether it's a friend, whether it's you know even a stranger. I think back to that um, the great eclipse from 2017 in August that was this shared moment of, of awe and people that had never seen each other were, were weeping with joy of just that moment, for example. And I definitely think when you, when you bottle this up and you have it be not just something we experience on an island, but with others, it's such an interpersonal emotion that I think there is this magnifying effect uh, without a doubt that can come from that. 
Yeah, intuitively, that makes so much sense to me. I'm thinking about the fact that this brain that we carry with us, in spite of having the latest iPhone, is anywhere between 40,000 and 200,000 years old, depending on which side study mm-hmm. I believe you look into. Uh, and we're used to being with people. And you even cited that attendance at concerts is decreasing at live shows. And it was really uh, a bit heartbreaking for me to read that because shared awe may be on the decline uh, of comedian who I recently interviewed said, you know, the difference between seeing her live and seeing her mm-hmm. recorded or hearing her on Zoom, it's just not the same thing. And I think that there's something that we probably can't really measure very easily, at least with the current uh, technology available to us, something that happens. Uh, perhaps there's some type of pheromone that's, that's mm-hmm. released when we're in the midst of awe and we all kind of uh, somehow sim- symbiotically or, or uh, reciprocally or in, in yeah. some way, shape or form increase. Uh, is that, was that dovetail with perhaps your conceptualization of shared yeah. awe? And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's even been called by some researchers, the ultimate collective emotion, I think for that reason. Um, you know, and if you think about it almost from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, you know, that an emotion like awe that makes us closer with the group that makes us want to do altruistic things for the person next door, that, that makes us want to be curious about the world around us, why this is part of that universal collective experience that we all have. Um, to your point, though, I mean, if you look at some of these trends across society, across the world, especially, you know, here in the United States, loneliness is skyrocketing, you know, we're, mm. we're further and further removed from each other. And, you know, I'm of the school, as, as, as it sounds like you are too, you know, connection is really the uh it's as core a part of who we are as you know and as much of a need as food clothing and shelter yes so you know the fact that we're not getting that is i think we're seeing really toxic effects um and this was pre-covid of course and, and right now people even more isolated and distance oftentimes um it's a, it's a tremendous problem yeah to that point dr murti the former surgeon general cited loneliness as being a public health issue. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've now seen that it, it can impose risks greater than s- smoking 15 cigarettes a day, yeah. having hyperlipidemia, uh, and a whole host of other, other medical predictors of, of morbidity. And um, by the way, and I'm hearing as, your, as all can, um, it decrease. Oh, there and she I'm is. hearing, <laughs> I'm hearing a feline creature longing for yeah. some connection with you in the background. Yes, you, you can hear that, that feline creature. And I, I don't think she wants a connection with me, if I'm being honest. What's happening is I'm slow cooking chicken, right? <laughs> and this is the one food that she just goes berserk for. So to the listening audience, I, I'll uh, apologies in advance. She's well, it's, it, it, we'll just call her Pavlov's, Pavlov's kitten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to mention, though, you know, it, on inflammation and awe, we know that awe decreases chronic inflammation. Loneliness, to your point, is one of the most sort of profound, you know, psychological ways to see increased chronic inflammation. And right. Because we interpret loneliness or rejection as danger. It makes perfect sense. We're not meant to be alone, yet so many of us are. Right. Uh, we are meant to be in groups. And the fear of rejection uh, is also what is probably most uh, compelling about not wanting to publicly speak. And it somehow links us back to when we were in 
tribes. And if we were somehow exiled from said tribe, it meant certain deaths. So some, to some extent, your, your, your concept of fear uh, and, uh, is, is, is really a uh, uh, point taken well. Um, I'm also thinking about something else that you cited, uh, and that is that psychedelics like MDMA uh, mm-hmm. seem to suspend activity in a particular part of the brain. I believe you cited the, uh, the parietal lobe for those of you who are yeah. geeky at home uh, that is responsible for self-consciousness and egoic uh, activity. And that's suspended when we are in awe and that we're more likely to be group affiliated in those moments and more pro-social and, and, and generous. Yeah. It's really amazing when you look at some of what's happening in the brain as well as in our nervous system. Um, because awe looks a lot like certain psychedelic states. Um, and I've heard it even been described. There was a great uh, event uh, called Wisdom 2.0. And mm-hmm. I think last year's, it was Dacher Keltner, who does a lot of awe research with Michael Pollan, who wrote that wonderful book. That right. Some of your listeners might know about what, what to, how to change your mind. And they both kind of talked about the commonalities between these states and talked about certain psychedelic experiences almost being thought of as synthetic awe was, I think, the term that they used. Uh, but yeah, a lot of similarities in terms of the default mode network in our brain going offline, so to speak, the parietal load, that sort of sense of orientation to the physical world it might help explain a little bit of the out-of-body, quote-unquote, experience that awe gives us. So I think we're just starting to scratch the surface there, but it's definitely, there's, there's something there as far as the um, the similarities and the commonalities between those states, for sure. And as we know, taking psychedelics can impose certain side effects, and awe appears to only have positive side effects. Uh, unless we're talking, of course, about negative awe experiences, which would be a whole different... <laughs> so I did have a let's actually go there for a second. Uh-huh. So, but, but, but just, just for yeah. the listener's sake, barring negative awe, yeah. which, we, which we, we absolutely do need to yeah. talk about, positive awe experiences, the things that make us go wow, are good I, for us. I have yet to see a negative side effect uh, for those moments, for sure. So let, let's let's talk about negative awe. What is that? Yeah, you know, it's a really it's interesting because a lot of people, when you if you were to just poll random people out there, when's the last time you felt a sense of awe? Uh, the vast majority of the respondents would be talking about positive moments, you know, right. times in nature, in the redwoods, uh, moments of connection, the birth of a child, uh, feelings of love, uh, people that inspire us, all these different uh, parts of life that, that I think come to mind. But there is a subset of people that talk about more what's called threat-based awe or negative awe. And it's less common, it's less research, quite frankly, too, but it is a real thing. And, you know, I think if we if we reflect on some of these moments that might come to mind for some of our listeners or for us, the ones that come to mind for me, for example, were being in New York during 9-11. Um, and you were there, if I recall. I was there. Yeah, I was very nearby. Um, could hear it as it happened, in fact. Um, it, the wildfires that so many of us in California um, have to, to, to face. Um, each year, uh, the Challenger explosion. Uh, mm. You can think of natural disasters. I mean, there's an awe quality to, to a lot of these experiences because they're so powerful, because they're so mind blowing, because they're hard for us to wrap our head around and they force us to kind of reevaluate what we thought we knew, but not in a good way. Um, 
you know, when I, when, when we got charged by a grizzly bear a couple of summers back in Glacier National Park, there was an awe flavor to that, but it was definitely not a kind of awe that I'd want to ever Mm-mm. experience. Um, so there has been some research looking at this threat-based awe, negative awe, and it is a, it is a thing. Um, and it does not carry most of the benefits that we've talked about in terms of you know, the psychological benefits, the health benefits. But I think what's really fascinating about negative awe is that it still does two things really well. It brings us closer together with our fellow human beings, so it still drives that community, and it makes us kinder and more altruistic. And so you can kind of see these real-life examples of negative awe and hear the stories and read about the people that are the helper, read about the people that are running towards the fires, not away from them, read about the people that are doing, you know, giving the shirt off their back to, to their neighbor. And so you can see this in real time that they're really, you know, it doesn't mean it's a good thing, but it's still amazing to me, at least, that even under those painful circumstances, there's something about awe, even when it's negative, that brings us together and makes us kinder. Wow. It's, it's, it's so poignant to hear you describe that. And you also described in the fires the desire to volunteer when people's lives were just torn asunder. And you went to the shelter and saw people somehow super resilient, thriving, and that there was such an abundance of volunteers that you weren't needed and you saw kind behavior. And so it was kind of a, it was almost like a melange of, of, of positive and negative occurring for you at the same time. It was, it was a very memorable, inspiring. And, and I think actually what, what made me so amazed at that experience was the outpouring of volunteers, donations, but how many of the people there actually were um, younger? How many of them were actually high school? You know, teens can get a bad rap sometimes. I would say a disproportionate amount were high school students. And I had never felt so um, optimistic about where the world might go as when I saw these, you know, these, these young people giving their whole you know, day of, of their time towards helping. Um, it was really uplifting and inspiring, even in the midst of that trauma and that, that pain that was so palpable, for sure. So I've got two, a two-part question. Uh, the first one is, you talked a bit about vets who experienced PTSD, who went on a river rafting ride, and that they experienced uh, alleviation of many of their PTSD symptoms from just one day of river rafting. Is that, did I read that correctly? Um, the, it, it might've been more like a long weekend, um, okay. but it was definitely time limited, uh, I think is the, the, the amazing take home to me. And, and not only did they experience alleviation of their overall stress, as you said, they, they experienced alleviation of their post-traumatic stress symptoms. And best of all, those gains actually lasted over time. Now, you know, I tend to take much, you know, an, an all of the above approach. Uh, the moral of the story to me isn't, well, stop doing treatment and psychotherapy or medication and just go river rafting. But I think, you know, the more that we can think broadly about how to help people, the better. Uh, and I think there's, a, there's some patients that I've worked with for whom, you know, what, what they didn't need was psychotherapy. They needed to, to get outside. They needed to connect with people. They needed to find something that was meaningful to them. They needed to find something that, you know, to be a part of. Um, and for someone else, maybe it's the gym. For someone else, maybe it's a better job. Um, so I think treatment can look 
really vast and, and, and different. It doesn't necessarily follow, okay, you're going to come to my office this frequently for 50 minutes and we're going to do this, that, or the other. I mean, it can look like that, but mm -hmm. I think there are so many things that are healing and therapeutic. Um, so that study was a really powerful example. Um, they took both PTSD veterans uh, as well as teenagers who lived in very kind of toxic, stress-filled environments and it relieved their stress, it relieved their trauma-related symptoms, and it lasted over time at follow-up. Um, so all, I think, can be really healing in ways that we are just starting to understand as well. So that caused me to wonder as well, uh, and I, I think wonder is actually a function of awe, mm -hmm. uh, but it caused me to wonder, <laughs> might uh, our reaction to awe both when it's positive and when it's negative, particularly when it's negative, might that be our body's way of healing in the face of it, of the negative think, event? Yeah, I think there's, I think that's actually a great way to conceptualize it mm. um, that I think is, is totally in line. And it would make sense, right? If that was part of our you know, DNA, so to speak, our emotional repertoire, our emotional DNA, that why would we after these because think about what our ancestors over those 40 to 200,000 years that you mentioned had to face a heck of a lot in terms of trauma in terms of you know events that shook them to the core threats right. around every corner so we would have needed just to, to kind of put it in unscientific we would have needed some facet of these experiences to heal us otherwise we would have had nothing but traumatized homo sapiens walking around 24 7 so I think whether it's positive all or even in that threat-based all, it would make sense that, look, it reduces stress, it lowers inflammation levels, it brings us together. There is this really healing quality. And, you know, to me, it can sound almost hokey when you're thinking about it just, just talking, but then you look at these fMRI studies and you look at, look at this research on inflammation, you look at these pre-post outcome measures, and it really, uh, it is profound um, what it can do for us. Amazing. And when I think about healthy versus unhealthy coping, I would think that uh, there are so many ways that we can cope on in a very unhealthy way, such mm -hmm. as just kind of numbing out, drinking, finding other ways to provide our body with an analgesic of whatever type, whether it's food uh, versus the really healthy coping. And it seems that awe would be one of the best things for us to carry around in our toolkit. Uh, I just wanted just to unpack uh, even a little bit further, just so that the listener sure. can really imagine some of the things that you've experienced and uh, perhaps come to appreciate even more deeply. You described swimming with sharks as well as humpback whales. And first off, I got to say, how cool is it that a person named Jonah was swimming with whales? And unlike the character in the Bible, you did not end up inside the whale. He got uh, a little too close for comfort, but uh, <laughs> I was a little worried about that. But uh, that Jonah yeah. would go back inside the whale? Yes, exactly. That would not be great. Okay. <laughs> but while you were swimming, you described experiencing awe. You described that you were in the water for 20 minutes and it felt like it had only been one minute yeah. and time was bent. Yes. Uh, even though, so just can you describe that flow state that you were experiencing in that moment? Yeah, and, and, and it really felt like a flow state. And flow for the listeners, again, is this sort of state of total absorption where, where an hour feels like five minutes. You're kind of in that zone. And these powerful moments of awe have definitely done that for me where it's as if time stops you're so in rapture of it that it just uh, it blows your mind and you know in that moment i felt so small and yet i felt safe um except for when it started to come a little too close right um, 
But there is something powerful, the sense of goosebumps that chill up our spine, that sense of, um, you know, oneness uh, that, that, that took me over. You know, and I'll just say, because I think this is, I just want to point this out for, for any listeners too. Yeah, I think if, if we all think back to some of these peak moments, these powerful moments of awe, you know, several of those moments might come to mind for us. And, and I feel really lucky to have had some of these moments that I wouldn't have even believed you if you told me a few years ago that I would have those moments that you referenced in terms of being there in the water with these creatures and, and others. But I also think, you know, something that really stood out to me in doing this research is that we can find these moments on a much humbler, more everyday level too. You know, we don't have to zip off to the Grand Canyon. We don't have to dive in a shark cage experience. Um, you know, we can find these moments on a humbler level, but they're still really powerful as well. So I almost informally, I don't think I put this in the book, but I, but I think of it as capital A awe and lowercase awe. Sure. Um, and I, and it's just kind of a cheesy shorthand that I, that I have with it. But I think part of this journey is finding more and more of these lowercase all moments. And if you think about wherever you are in this moment, you know, we're recording this from our respective, you know, I think offices or uh, I'm at home, but you know, wherever a listener is, if you just literally look around wherever you are in this moment and you think about how many things in your, just in your field of vision would have seemed absolutely futuristic and mind-blowing to somebody 500 years ago, you know, let alone 50 years ago, or even 10 years ago. And that can give us this sense of wonder, this sense of, you know, oh my God, wow. And that's just in our immediate field of vision. Um, so then if we go through life with more of that stance, it's amazing to think about how many things we normally take for granted are really wondrous. We just have to learn to look for them. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I'm thinking about two great spiritual leaders, Thich Nhat Hanh, who says that when you get a sore throat, you become enlightened because you suddenly realize how good it was not to have a sore throat. Yeah. And I know I feel that way about hot water. <laughs> when I, uh, I take my shower every day and I generally take it for granted. I try, try, try not to. Um, but on those days at the hot water heater, thankfully those are very few and far between, isn't working. I'm suddenly enlightened and I'm suddenly aware of how amazing it is that we have hot water and how new of an invention that is. Um, and then I think about Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who came up with a concept of radical amazement, which just feels so in line with awe and 100%. all of the research that you laid out for us. Um, he describes just taking in a sunset with new eyes and realizing this is the only time this sunset will happen this way and really taking it in with almost a Zen beginner's mind and just saying, oh, look at this sunset. Isn't yeah. this incredible? Uh, one of my friends, Joel Benizzi, who is a, a storyteller, he describes eating a mango in front of us. This is the best mango I've ever had in my in, daughter says, you had, you said that last week. And he said, yeah, but I'm a week older. So I'm, a, I'm experiencing this even more deeply now. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that we all, I think that we're all given that challenge in life to really uh, increase our uh, oh, willingness to tap into awe. Uh, that said, if you could give us some really practical ways to increase our musculature around awe, some push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups mm. that we could do on the daily that would increase our awe muscles, what would that look like? Yeah, great question. Uh, because I think all, all the research is well and good, but if it doesn't get boiled down into what do we 
do from here and right. what does that actually look like, um, it can it, it can feel a little bit harder to grasp. Uh, so for that reason, obviously in the in the book, I wanted to include a lot of those suggestions. So there's about sixty or so, very bite sized, tangible, ranging from meditation visualizations to small tasks we might take. But the one thing I tried to do there that I'll just kind of I think helps us frame this a bit is, you know, thinking more in terms of pathways towards awe in life, uh, different domains that we can find awe. And obviously, the big one that comes to mind for a lot of people is nature, right? Yeah. And this could be Absolutely. on a very grand scale, you know, going out to the, the redwoods in Northern California if you're out here, but it can also just be gazing up at that sunset or taking a little stroll through the park and noticing changing colors of the leaves, uh, just being in green spaces. Um, there's a reason why, for example, you know, forest bathing is, is, is such a, a thing these days in more and more places. We need this, and yet we're further and further from it. Uh, so nature is certainly a big area that we can feel it. Uh, we can also experience it more on an, like an intellectual, you know, learn about something about the world or the universe or the human body or the human brain that just blows our mind. Carl Sagan talking about how there's more um, you know, stars out there than there are grains of sand on the planet Earth is one mm. kind of way of thinking about it. Or even if you, you know, Earth is what's called a Goldilocks planet. And I write about this. It's a term that kind of makes sense, where if we were just one degree further in either direction, none of us would be here. Right. And yet the fact that we are exactly where we are relative to the sun, of course, allows everything on Earth to be the way that it is. And then you realize that just in the visible universe, there's a hell of a lot more of these Goldilocks planets. We're, not, we're actually not all that special. Uh, right. So, you know, there, there, there's that realization. That's more of like a mind-bending kind of all. And then I think about things like interpersonally. Who are the people that inspire us? Who are the people that um, show us what's possible? The musicians, athletes, performers, change makers in the world that uh, that are that uplift us in this way that give us that sense of uh, of, of virtuous awe you might say um art uh, as we talked about at the outset uh, can be a great muse for awe um in that way as well and we talked about gratitude but i think when we really take stock of all the things to be thankful for even the things that we take for granted that opens our eyes up to awe as well so Hopefully that gives us at least a sense of some of the different domains. Um, just the fact that we can do what we're doing today, by the way, can fill me with awe. We're talking into a screen and we're connecting and I haven't seen you in 12 years, but we're here talking about awe thanks to the sort of the good parts of technology. Technology, of course, gets a bad rap in some cases, for yeah. reason, but there's good, amazing parts too that, that allow us to connect and, and do things like this as well. So all kinds of ways that we can... Uh, encounter this. I agree. And I really do think it is a muscle and we may start off a little bit atrophied or a little bit weak and with practice application and the willingness to tolerate kind of sucking at it for a while, mm -hmm. because I think every skill is basically the byproduct of the willingness to suck for a bit yes. uh, as we get like better, <laughs> as we get better at. It. And I think that awe is no different, uh, that we need to suck at it. And it may not give us the pay, t the payday that we're looking for, immediately but over time with yes. repeated reps we might get better at it i love that you brought uh, up uh one of what's that i was gonna have to say I, I remember when i um it's like if we join the gym and then we go once or twice we do a couple of reps and then we say well why am i not buff exactly 
Uh, but we do that with these psychological things too. And, and I think we all pro- fall, fall into those, those traps where we say, well, that doesn't work for me. Well, right. how much should we try it and, and how long and to what degree? So yeah, to your point, I think sticking with it, being open, sucking at it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe steal that with your permission. I'll give <laughs> Absolutely, you by all means. I, I think that's exactly sums it up. Yeah, and I'll be happy to even share with you the four steps of, <laughs> of, of tolerating sucking. That could be a good book title, by the way. What's that? If you ever want to do something that you spend a lot of hours doing yeah. and not much payoff, I think a book with that title would be really good. I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, everything I've gotten at least halfway decent at, I've had to suck at for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, you know, I'm thinking about what you said earlier about forest bathing or kind of the fancy term that we like to use, biophilia, and uh-huh. how. Uh, taking a forest bath or a tree bath. Uh, I believe that's kind of come from a concept uh, that was Japanese. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea so very much. Um, we, our brains are wired to want to be in the green. And uh, biophilia has been shown to be one of the ways to alleviate anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's particularly important for introverts to spend time in nature, but extroverts too. And uh, I've liked to think of a trifecta if people really want to do three for one. But since we know that cardio is a great way to reduce depression and anxiety, and since we also know that sunlight is a great way to do, reduce impre- depression, why not do all three at once? Uh, because you can uh, in many cases, even just a park will do. Just It doesn't have to be as gorgeous as John Muir Woods. Um, and I'm thinking about watching Wicked for the very first time. I had no idea what I was about to see. And then at the end of Act One, you see the song Defying Gravity. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it's not ruining anything, but I (laughs) have rarely had such a strong emotional response in in a theater setting. I've had a lot of really strong ones, uh, I should say, but that one just blew my mind. And the great news was every time since, when I listen to that song, I go back and I get to re-experience that wonder yeah. and the awesomeness if I pay attention to it, if I really let myself go back in. And I think that music, I think musicals, theater, I was sharing a, in a very old video. It's, I think it comes from 2007. There's this guy in Australia, I think it has 38 million YouTube views, holding a, a sign saying free hugs. I don't know if you remember this one. And nobody's hugging him. And <laughs> suddenly people start hugging him all over the place. And it's so powerful. And I'm kind of wondering, since YouTube is so available to us all, are there some videos that seem to inspire awe? I I know that the arts work for me. And does it work for you? I'm a huge YouTube. And also, you know, actually, as, as strange as it sounds, when the documentary series Planet Earth came out. Um, you beat me to the punch, man. You oh, beat me to the punch. <laughs> ah, I was going to talk about that. But keep oh, going. Sorry. That's hilarious. Uh, that was actually, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And yeah, yeah I, I would have some experiences of, of, of nature, but it was, it was, you know, a little bit more manicure, a little bit uh, more contained. And I remember two big things that happened. Moved out to California and just seeing the scale of things out here. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it just, it was mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing. And so experiencing that firsthand blew my mind in terms of just the possibilities and, and what, oh, that's nature. Okay. Um, but then also when Planet Earth came out, I remember that was an eye-opening thing, as, as crazy as it sounds, that that documentary captured me and showed me, holy crap, look at this world out there, 
how much there is to see. And even if you spend a whole lifetime trying, you'll only scratch the surface. And I actually think it was really instrumental in shifting me from being a little bit of a homebody to somebody that now has this almost unquenchable appetite to see the world and to travel and to experience different, you know, far off lands and destinations. And uh, obviously there's much bigger problems that one could, could be having right now, but, you know, not being able to do that right now has been uh, definitely a loss um, given the current circumstances, because that becomes such a, a key part of life for me. But yeah, no, the documentary does it. And we can experience all that way, even if we're not firsthand going out to these places through the screen in that way. It might not be 100% as powerful, but it can be a really, really important way for us to, to experience awe, whether it's through clips, whether it's through documentaries, whether it's you know through Cosmos. Uh, you know, that series is another one that, that gets great, great choice. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. I'm, and I'm sorry for, for beating you to the punch. Oh, no, it's <laughs> hilarious. I love it. It just, uh, it's, it's rather affirming because uh, I think very highly of your intelligence and, you know, <laughs> it's, it, you, you indirectly complimented me as far as I'm concerned. But I was thinking about the fact that uh, if you look at the all-time ratings on IMDb, mm. uh, the top shows of all time are David Attenborough's, BBC's, various nature shows. They beat out Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad and everything. <laughs> so, to your but did point, it beat out Seinfeld though? That's beat I out Seinfeld by a long shot. It's the top. Show. That is amazing. Yeah, um, I would I would say one other thing that just to piggyback on that is, and it's semi related to that, but you know when we just think about something or we experience something visually in that way, our brain and our body respond in remarkably similar ways to when it was really happening. So yes. for example, if, if you've had an awe-inspiring moment, you've gone to the Grand Canyon, you've seen the top of a mountain, you've, you know, whatever it might be. Well, if you keep a little souvenir from that and you look at it and you visualize it and you really, you don't just look at it through eyes, but you really feel it, you, mem- you remember it. That felt sense actually leads to so many of the same reactions as the experience itself. So you know, some of it's going out and seeking more of these awe-inspiring moments, but some of the challenge is just, call, you know, recalling them. And in the positive psych world, they would call this savoring. And it's another way that awe kind of piggybacks exactly with another skill. When we savor awe-inspiring moments, that's another way to get the most bang for our buck when it comes to them. Yeah, recently I was talking with Tiffany Schlein and she cited Anais Nin saying that if you write, if you keep a journal, it's as if you get to live twice. And yeah. I see you living twice because over your shoulder, you've got oh. many photos of nature where you have been. And I'm guessing that you savor those photos. And really, do you make it a conscious point to take in those photos or are they just oh. there as a mere art? No, there, I, mean, I actually, we've tried to really keep quite a few reminders of, of peak experiences, of awe-inspired places, um, accessible within our, our field of vision where we are for that reason. Um, same thing at, at the office, because, you know, when we're not on, on COVID quarantine, we spend a lot of time away from home, many of us in our office. And for that reason, I've, I've tried to kind of weave in little, you know, I, I actually don't put big pictures up just because of, um, you know, pe- people, of course, come in with very different states of life and may not be able to go, you know, I've been very lucky, like I said, and, and I recognize that, but little mementos and little souvenirs and little reminders that I know for me can bring me back to those places uh, is something I've tried to do both at home and, and at work for that reason. 
Yeah. And I often think about trying to get people to feel things viscerally when they're savoring, not just you know cognitively, but to really yes. engage the senses, re-engage them and try to feel it in various points in their body. Uh, and it sounds like you're of, a, of the same mind. Yeah, and, and it's so it's not just that imagery system. It's, we're not just seeing it the way we would look at, you know, uh, some paint drying. It's we're really feeling it as if we were there, um, yeah. which is a skill. I mean, I think with all these things, it's, uh, you know, the hardest part is just starting and then you stick with it. And, and over time, you get more adept at being able to to bring your mind there and to, to, to fully experience it. That so I've got a tough one for you. If you were to provide a daily dosage requirement of awe, mm. <laughs> <laughs> what would it, what might that look like? That's a great question. And, you know, I think the, the great thing about awe is it doesn't have to be as much as we think. A little bit goes a long way. You know, right. you know, from powerful moments of awe, you could see benefits to our mood and even to things like inflammation, as we talked about, as much as a couple of weeks later from just like a single positive, now this would be more of a capital A awe, of course. Um, but, you know, it doesn't have to be all the time. And in fact, you know, variety is the spice of life when it comes to awe. Um, I would say, you know, if we do think of it in that sort of lowercase capital A awe, you know, I think one or two times a week where we're just putting ourselves in the position to really experience wonder. And that could be you know, making the effort to go out to the park, making the effort to be in the woods, looking out to the coast, whatever it might be, but then sprinkling in some of these more everyday, you know, experiences, looking around and, and finding what in my environment gives me a sense of awe, learning one fact once a week about the world that kind of blows our mind, uh, looking at one memory, you know, here and there once or twice a week to, to kind of relive some of those moments. I think it doesn't have to be as much as we think. A little bit goes a long way. And to me, the most important thing is just having that curious, open stance where we're just receptive to it rather than even a, a set number would be my, my answer to that. It's a great question. though. Yeah, and it's a great answer. And some people may think, you know, this whole out is a nice idea, but I kind of am not wired that way. Uh, is there any way that they can tap into awe, the people who might be really skeptical? Yeah. Um, well, read my book. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, there is truth, by the way, to the fact that some people are more prone to awe, you might say, than others. So there are differences based on things like personality type, um, on those big five personality scales sure. that, that some people might be familiar with, openness to new experience tends to be more linked to, to likelihood of experiencing awe, for example. Um, so there's personality traits linked to it. There's certain ways that culture and religiosity kind of mediate it, not necessarily mm -hmm. frequency, but what do I experience awe from? So there are these different dimensions. That said, I would say, you know, for all of us, um, it is accessible to us. It might come easier to some of us than others. And, and we might know people that we can even think of in our lives that, everything to them is just wondrous, right? They look, they look at life through the eyes of a child, practically, and they don't take anything for granted. And we can all aspire to be like that, but most of us are mere mortals and only humans. So that's a hard, you know, we can't get there overnight. But I think, you know, for, for all of us to just be open to the possibilities and to think about, because it's a very personal experience, to really reflect on what are the moments 
where this has come up for you. Because what gives me a sense of all might give you, you know, a shrug, um, you know, and vice versa. And that's okay. That's cool. We're all built differently. We've all had different experiences. And, and really, it's kind of understanding the importance of this and then being curious about, well, where have I found it and where might I find it uh, sure. is more kind of where I, where I tend to be. Wow, that's beautiful. Uh, it, I've been very fortunate in this domain, at least, less fortunate than others, uh, but uh, I did come out of the womb just wired for this. Uh, my nickname in high school, given to my, me by the drummer in my band, uh, was Enthusiadum. And uh, that one kind of stuck for a, a long time. And uh, so I, I, I just love this idea. That's part of how Super Psych was born, believe it or not. But I have to ask you a final question. All right. It's a fantastical one. Okay. If you were somehow given the magical powers to confer awe on all of humanity, hmm. how do you imagine there lives would people's lives would change both individually and collectivistically speaking collectively speaking how would how would how would their lives look different how would how would the world look different that's really because i think it's it's easy and and a lot of my book and my work on this has of course focused on what you might call the, the psychology of the individual how does this impact my health my brain my relationships and all that but to your point, I think one of the really amazing ways to look at awe through a slightly different angle is to look at, well, what does it do to us culturally? What does it do to us collectively? Um, and if you look at so many of the trends in society on the one hand, so here on the one hand, we can think of we're lonelier than ever, as we talked about. We're more stressed than ever. Our rates of depression have never been higher. We're spending less time doing things like being in nature, going to live performances. We're more materialistic than ever. We're harder on ourselves. We're more polarized, as we all know, than ever before. So on one column, you can think of, well, where do we find ourselves? And I think what's really amazing, and my, my caveat is there's no cure-all, there's no panacea. It's not like if we put awe in the uh, water supply that all the problems in the world would be over. But each of those problems actually are addressed from the data on all um, that instead of being polarized, we're actually more connecting and able to see others' perspective. Instead of stress, it relieves our stress, as we talked about, even with trauma. Instead of depressed, it boosts our mood. Instead of materialistic, awe has been shown to make us more kind of aligned with deeper core values. Um, and instead of constantly feeling stretched thin on time, all gives us this sense of feeling like we actually have enough time to do what we need to do. And we go from what's called time poverty to time wealth. So time and time again, you see these broad trends that I think, ah, oh, even in a humble way, addresses each of them and then some. So I, I think to that point, if we could put it in the water supply, um, it would actually go a long ways towards healing many of the wounds that we find ourselves in right now. Well, may it come to pass. I think there's, I love, I love, I'm just hoping that more people become aware of your book. I hope more people become aware that this is a thing and this is a thing that will actually make us uh, happier, both in our own bodies and our own lives and to uh, more uh, delightful to those around us. 
Uh, and Jonah, I'm just in awe of watching you rise and do all that you're doing. I'm so grateful to you for sharing your wisdom with my listeners on Super Psyched. And uh, this has been great. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and uh, we, we can definitely do it again another time if another topic strikes us. So uh, this, has been, this has been awesome. I'd love it. Thanks so much, Jonah. Thank you. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. If you know anyone who might like it or who might benefit from listening, share it. And if you like the episode, please hit subscribe.